Job. And last week we would say we observed Job's trials. In a way, just kind of for you to think about this morning, just kind of as a reminder, Job was a man of character, a, a man of great wealth, a man of faith. He had a large family. Sought to take care of them both physically and spiritually. We see all the things kind of tied to his family as, as, as we begin. He was kind of the poster child, you would say, of someone who would say, God blesses with great prosperity those who are obedient to Him. His life would pretty much fit that until the latter part as we look at this and it, he goes through these great trials. Pre- previous to that, he endured very little is what we can see, but, but blessing. Even Satan said that Job had protected him, from, I mean God had protected him from great suffering. So in the first two chapters though, as we're introduced to Job, we see great trial. I mean significant trial. The, the, we, where it's kind of like we are taken behind the scenes and, and the author of the book of Job is allowing us to see what God is doing behind the scenes and what is being accomplished and who Satan is and what's taking place. And we find out that Satan is about the destruction of Job. He wants him to really turn away from God. That's what Satan's goal is in this life, for us to not walk by faith but to walk in unbelief and to rebel against God. And so God is going to bring Job to the, to, to, to the forefront and say, say to Satan, have you seen my servant Job? And Satan says, of course I've seen him, and he is so wealthy and blessed and all that. How could he not serve you? Take away his wealth, take away his family, and he'll curse you to, to his face, to your face. That goes on, and, and, and that happens to Job, and Job worships God. Again, Satan comes before the Lord, and the Lord says, have you seen my servant Job, the one that you caused all this trouble to, who walks righteously? Have you seen him? And again, Satan says, well, I'll tell you what, if you take his life and destroy him physically, he will curse you to his face. And so God says for Satan to move forward, and Satan goes out and brings sores from Job from the top of his head, the Scripture says, to the heels of his feet. And Job again responds rightly before the Lord in all of his suffering. It's the scripture says he did not sin with his lips. So I just think it's important that we kind of see that and understand that because after watching that take place in these interactions, then we're going to see Job today question. He's going to have very, very difficult questions. You will see him, it's kind of as if he were praying to God, but he is proclaiming these questions outwardly and so certainly I think his friends heard him but there's also this kind of thought like a series of of questions to God and in the state of depression that he was in he gets to a point where he curses the day that he was born and he really begins to ask uh, many different questions about being born at all or being he wished he was stillborn or he longed for death all of these things are coming at the forefront of this study, and we see this in chapter 3. So you kind of want to say, like, if you've ever had questions about depression, about suffering, about death, about living, anything in regard to fear, you may identify with this passage this morning. And I think it's, it's smart to say Christians don't always know all of the things that are taking place in this life. We don't always have every answer for why 
someone suffers, why there's trouble. We can't answer all of those things. What we have to do, I think, is to back off and say, look, I don't know, I don't know about all people's suffering. I don't understand why one suffers in one way and another does not. But we can offer hope. Hope of a future. Hope of salvation. Hope of one day not facing any more suffering. But we can't answer all the questions. And so I think it's important sometimes for us to say, we don't know. We have to trust in God. And we have to wait on Him to save us in the future. And I can't answer everything that comes along the way. So anyway, as we're looking at that in Job chapter 3, let's, let's look over this. We'll scan the, the kind of each section and then we'll move from that to kind of bring some conclusion to it. But as you start here, and I think it's very important, you just note here in chapter one, uh, I mean chapter 3, verse 1, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And this kind of gets, I actually, read, I'm going to read this in the uh, New International Version because sometimes in these kind, this kind of language, it's a little clearer. And he said, May the day of my birth perish, and the night it was said a boy is born. That day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine upon it. May darkness and deep shadow claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm its light. That night may thick darkness seize it. See all of those references of darkness. It's kind of this picture of darkness and light. May it not be included among the days of the year. He's speaking all of this kind of a, a curse over his birthday, you might say. May those who curse days curse that day. And those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. His cursing the day of his birth because of the trouble that he is facing. I don't know about you. Do y'all like family celebrations like birthdays? Some of you might be like anti-birthday people. If you are, that's okay, I guess. But in my family, we were down with birthdays. We liked them. And as a kid, like we would have birthday parties and usually at my house. And I don't know if it was my birthday party after I think about it or uh, one of my brothers or whatever, but sometimes we would get these big refrigerator boxes, and this was like really awesome for a birthday party. No, but we had these refrigerator boxes, and all you know, my parents or somebody let us kind of get stuffed into them, and then I think somebody may have helped us like stand them up, and then we'd rock the box and drop it back down and all crumble on top of each other, and it was like the greatest birthday ever to get a refrigerator box. but And I think I also got some other presents, but that was really awesome. And so um, we would do those kind of things and celebrate our birthdays all the time. We did a lot of different stuff. Even today, our family gathers together and says, says, hey, let's celebrate that day. You know, for the most part, we're glad you're here. And so we're going to celebrate that day, maybe throw you a few presents. But I think it's like, it's important to say, like when we're, when we're thinking about that, that is like a celebration for us. And we, we certainly enjoy those things. And, and probably in Job's life, he, he probably experienced that. His kids, we know, enjoyed parties. They, they would gather together and they would enjoy celebrating things. It's very clear that they were those kinds of people. And that was not condemned by God. Actually, God set in motion times where you would celebrate things. That's very important, I think, to understand. Now, 
If you're thinking about that, though, this morning when you're looking at this, he is moving into another direction. And no longer is he, as you're looking at this, this, this passage, you're saying he's not celebrating the day of his birth, he's cursing it. He wished it had never happened. I thought about this this week. It's in, in, in It's a Wonderful Life, one of Anna's favorite movies. Not really, she said it's the most depressing movie ever. But there's this place where George Bailey says, I wish I'd never been born. I wish this had never, I'd never even been born. He's, he's kind of doing that. Jeremiah speaks of this same thing. He says, Cursed be the day which I was born, the day when my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. It's one of these things where you're like, that's not supposed to be that way. How could somebody come to that place? You know, there's no doubt that we see in, in Job's trials that he did not uh, curse God. It's very clear, the Scripture makes it clear, that even when Satan says, hey, he will curse God. If you keep doing these things, he'll curse God. Job doesn't. Actually, Job says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He honors God even in the midst of his suffering. But here, he is going to curse the day of his birth. He's had seven days to sit there, evidently while his friends were there, to think about it and say he comes to that place where he curses the day that he was born. I don't know, you know, as you think about that in your own life, if you've ever come to that place, you say, man, that's crazy. I mean, as a little kid, though, I remember saying, you know, saying stuff like, I wish I'd never been born, you know. And then it would be like, maybe turn into something like, I wish I didn't have this family. You know, and then my parents would be like, well, go find a new one. No. But I mean, it's like, I think we do have these thoughts. And I was telling Mike, sometimes as a little kid, uh, we have, we're more open with saying how we feel in the moment. As adults, we kind of cover it up. But in the darkness of your own heart, in the deep nights of just, you know, maybe depression and darkness, you know maybe this feeling. It's, it's, it's a very dark place. I just want to mention a couple of things here. In verse 5, you see all of those synonyms. Deep darkness, clouds, blackness. Darkness, really, and if you look at verse 4 and, and in verse 5, there's a place where that deep darkness has the idea of the Psalm 23 passage where it says that the, that the same term is there as the shadow of death. It's kind of like it's tied to that. The darkness is kind of one of those things that points us back to death. Those things go together. Verse 6 here, he asked for his birthday to be erased from the calendar. Be like if your birthday is like mine or is November 18th, we go from November 17th to November 19th, it's erased, it's gone forever. I wish it would just did not exist at all. One of the things just to note for you, because you might be wondering what's taking place, notice in verse 8. He says that um, those who curse the days, that they might curse that day. There were people in Scripture that were people that would not bring blessing, but they'd speak curses over people. Like Balaam, who was supposed to speak a curse over God's people. And he's saying those people, maybe, maybe they speak a curse over this day. But then he speaks of something else. He asked for um, those who call up Leviathan. What, if you never heard that phrase or that, that word, you might not know what this is. Most people understand this to be uh, something that points us to the seven-headed dragon of chaos in Canaanite theology who ate up the sun. The seven-headed dragon ate the sun. And so he's saying, you know, it, it's again, it's almost like when we would, something we would say, we would, we would use some 
things. You, know, you might tell a story of something in your day and say, oh yeah, remember that story? I wish that would happen to this situation. And so all of this is going on and he is so broken hearted over his life and the trouble of his life that he wished he really, his birthday was gone and he had never come to this earth. I do think it's important just to say like, again, I think sometimes we say Christians are to be happy. Even like, uh, what's, what's that guy's name right now? Wrote the book, Happy, Happy, Happy. He's real big, got a long beard. Phil Robertson, there you go. So uh, Phil Robertson, he writes this book, Happy, Happy, Happy. It's kind of one of those things, our culture loves happy, happy, happy. We want to think that everything's supposed to be happy. And sometimes Christians are told, you're supposed to be happy, never sad, no sorrow, no brokenness, no time of mourning. And it's kind of like we want to clean up even those times where death is there and we're heartbroken, we want to make it go away as quick as possible. And we talked about that before. It's almost like sometimes with funerals, it's like how quick can we get them done so we can get back to life and maybe somehow block out the thought that, there, that this is coming. I listened to a pastor this week and it was, it was really one of those times that just kind of shocked me again. But he tells me about his, he told about his friend in, uh, who was a missionary who really like he went overseas and, he, and he, he's there serving and he said this guy's intelligent he's witty he was kind he's just fun to be around guy and all of a sudden he's over there and he go he falls into this deep depression and it's so bad that they had to pull him off of the field bring him back put him under all of this the counsel and talking with him and they really have come to the place where they say we believe you know as best as we know how that he has bipolar disorder they gave him medication all that but this guy this pastor went to to visit with him and he said listen only, only thing i can do every day is try not get to the, to get to the place where i take the belt off my waist and hang myself that's all that's all i can do every day is just fight to not take my own life. Sometimes I think we don't understand that you can get there. We, we could struggle with, with sin or, 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 just, or just difficult things or, or whatever. There are things that come that people face great trials mentally, emotionally, physically that we battle with. And I think just because, again, because we are believers, it does not mean that you will not face what I think Charles Spurgeon called dark nights of the soul. He had many of those. Because in a fallen world, there are multiple trials that we endure that we just, again, sometimes we don't even understand. And so I just think it's important just to kind of feel the weight of this for a moment this morning. And I would say just as a, as a general rule, to, to be with other believers. I think Job's friends, we're going to talk about them next week, and you're going to say, I'm not sure all of what they said was great, but they did sit there with him in the midst of his trials. And I would just say to you today, like you probably will have some dark nights. Some of you this year have had extremely difficult times and what has the Lord done I really believe this church has come around you and stood beside you in those moments that God is using them to help minister to you sometimes we don't know hey I don't say I have the answers I just say I'm here and we love you 
And we want good for you. And we understand that you're walking through enormous trials and they are painful. And smiling is not the answer. It's sitting with you and saying, I could understand the brokenness, the horror, all the things that you're enduring. And so I think it's one of the things you kind of see with Job. Again, those people are around him. But I just think it's important for us as Christians to be honest, not only with the world, but with one another. That in this world, we will have trouble. Jesus says that in John 16.33. But here's what Jesus will do. He'll say, you're going to face trouble. But then in John 14, in that same kind of section, when He's speaking to His disciples, He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So there is this thing for the Christian that says, hey, you may have the darkest times. You will will face trials in this life. We will experience that. And some of those things will be so horrific you could not even imagine. And we're almost glad that we don't know what's going to come in our future. But in the end, God is going to be with us. He will guide us. He will protect us. He will restore us. And we can hope in the future. Notice what happens as he moves forward. Not only does he curse the day of his birth, but he also asks, why couldn't he have been stillborn, you might say, in verse 11 through 19. He says, Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? For now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built for themselves places now lying in ruins with rulers who had gold who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? There the wicked cease from toil, and there the weary are at rest. Captives also enjoy their ease. They no longer hear the slave drivers shout. The small and the great are there, and the slave is freed from his master. He wished he could perish at birth. When you read that, you like, that is one of those things where it's like, this is the worst nightmare of a parent. It's like, how could you... This is, this is almost like unbearable to hear that, that, that a child would perish at birth, and yet he gets to this place and he realizes that, and maybe in his mind thinks it would be better to be there. Because I would not have to face the trials of this life. I've heard a lot of people even in America, which I think sometimes is a little bit like... Uh, in comparison to a lot of places of the world, it may be a little naive. Because sometimes I think we just have this tunnel vision and say, okay, here's America. And there certainly are dark times, but, but they're all over the world, there are things that people have faced that we could be unimaginable. And sometimes you would say, like, how could I bring a child up in this time? Why would I bring a child into this world at this time? But I think again, he, and he's kind of facing that. He's kind of saying what people say. He's saying maybe it would have been better just to be stillborn, to, be, to, to die at birth. Verse 12, he's going to say, like, why would there have to be someone there to nourish me? To bring me into this life and help me grow up? 
It would be better just to lie down in peace. Job would have been in verses 14 and 15 when he speaks of the great men who would have these great kind of tombs to, to rest in, to get the rest from all their labors, of all their building. He would have probably been like those people. And, and he would get to experience kind of this lying down and this enjoying of, of maybe the ceasing from your labor. Sometimes you may think that. You may say, hey, I look forward to the day where I can just rest. I don't have to work. I don't have to strive. I don't have to build. I don't have to create. I can just stop moving forward and stop trying to do these things. You get exhausted. I told you before that I have this pastor friend. I asked him one time. I was really fired up. And I was like, man, wouldn't you love to take this young church? And he was like, no, Jared, I've lived my life. I've done that work. And I want to go be with the Lord. I don't want any more time here. I've put forth that energy. and So Job's saying it would have been better just for, instead of facing the suffering of this age just to, just to be stillborn. Verses 17-19, through 19, notice what he does. He speaks of those who are happier dead than alive, kind of. Notice those people, wicked people. And you would say, well, the wicked, they probably have a pretty good life. They have a troublesome life. The weary, we think of throughout Scripture, speaking of those who are weary, very troubled people. They're weary and beaten down and exhausted. You think of captives, or here it might be captives or prisoners. There comes a place where they're released. In death they'll be released. Or those who are slaves that are just beat down by this horrible master, they'll be released. They can rest from someone beating them down. Great and small here pictured as, as being swallowed up by death. And he says it would have been better to, to, to experience that. Now, this idea, like in the Old Testament, of death, it, it has this kind of picture of, of like what's, often you'll hear the word Sheol. And when somebody says that, they're, they're speaking about the place of death. It's kind of the shadowy place where, where people go and, and rest. It's not really noticed. There's one thing about it. It doesn't seem like just a real... Job's not presenting like this wonderful celebration. He is just saying, I don't have to face the trouble of this life. It's not really presented again like as something just, just real jovial or like this big exciting adventure. It's not presented in that way. And one of the things we have to understand, and I don't, I, I don't think Job was saying, hey, here's a theology lesson on the afterlife. But one of the things we have to see is that what you and I understand of the life, the afterlife, is different than what probably Job would know. Because God progressively reveals His plan. When God gave the promise to Abraham, that promise was in kind of a small form that's growing. When God speaks uh, to the people of God about all kinds of things, it's moving forward and more is revealed as time goes on. When Job hears about or knows about the afterlife, he may have a little glimpse of what that will be. Certainly, the trials of this life for him would not be the same as him in the, in the future. But for us, we get a greater understanding of that. We, we understand the afterlife as if... The, and here's kind of the thing that we know that there are two places that people will go in the end. John 5.24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My Word and believes, in, believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He, who does not come, he, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. 
In John 5, 8 through 20, I mean, sorry, John 5, 28 through 29, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good, and here's good would be believing in Christ, trusting in him, walking with him to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. For Christians, when we come, when we die, we will spend eternity with God in a, in a, t- a period of wonderful blessing, of joy, of celebration, of, of great, just the, the greatest joy imaginable. For those who are outside of Christ, they will have a resurrection of judgment. So there's not really a middle ground where the wicked and the righteous will kind of dwell together. But again, Job was saying rightly that you, when you die, you do not have to face the trials of this age. What we do is get to take a step further and say not only that, what we would say is those who are rebels, they will face eternal damnation. Those who walk with the Lord, the righteous, will experience eternal life and eternal joy and eternal bliss. So he's saying, though, in this passage, and I think it's important that he is saying, listen, I just want to be out of this life. I wish I had never had to live. Why do I have to live in this way? In verses 20-26, through you keep moving. It says, Job asks why he can't die even now. So in one sense, he says, why did I have to be born? Why, if I was born, could I not have been born dead? And then the third thing you see in, in this, he says, why now, since I have lived and am facing all these trials, why can't I die? All of those things centered around the suffering and the bitterness of it all. He wishes he did not have to exist in this life. Is this the most exciting sermon you've ever heard? Just happy, happy? Huh? You kind of look at this and go, good night. Is this in the Bible? It's one of those things where sometimes you think, wow, this is, we know that Job like is trusted the Lord, he's hoping the Lord, but we also know that he faced great, what you call him, I guess, bitterness of soul. Verse 20, again, as he says, ask, he kind of asks God, why did he give life to those in misery? And why is verse 21, when he's longing for death, does it not come? It doesn't appear he's contemplating suicide. He just wants to know, why does he have to linger in this horrible condition? I remember, um, and I, you know, I, but I remember my grandmother on her deathbed, and I, and I remember watching and thinking, Lord, take her. Like, take her. Like, please. Why is she sitting there suffering? Just take her. I mean, just, can it be quicker? It's just too, I don't, I don't want to see this. I don't want her to experience it. I don't, I don't want to experience it. We, we know that struggle. I mean, it's hard. And I say that, and sometimes you, some of you may be going, wow, just don't be too honest with us. I, but I think we have to be honest about the fact that those things are coming. I have a friend right now, his grandfather is on his deathbed, and I know that, that death is coming for him. And, and I, you know, there's an element where you think, how long will he have to linger? So Job is here though, and he's in his clear mind and understanding, but he's sitting there wondering about these things. Verse 22, who are filled with gladness and joy when they reach the grave. It's just this picture of like, they're rejoicing at that day. It's a, 
it really is somewhat shocking for us in a world where we think life is the greatest thing. He's saying death would be the greatest thing for him in this moment. You know what he says? Remember when Satan said, he says, God, you put a hedge of protection around him. Job's saying now, God has put around him, like it's almost like God has placed him here to live, and then he is really, it's almost like, and he's encircled him with, with this, like, I mean, withholding him, like holding on to him in this life, and he's keeping him there, almost like someone has captured a city and they're circled around it, and he's saying, He's just holding me here. He has me cornered in and he keeps me alive. All of these things are kind of taking place here. It's just very, very, very shocking. He's groaning and sighing over all that's faced. It's almost like he's lost an appetite in verse 24. All of this is taking place. He says, listen, in verse 25, he says, all my fears have come true. You know, if we were honest, I think there's a lot of things. When you think about, there's times where Anna will call me during the day, and just the way she says my name or pauses before she tells me something, I'll think, something went wrong with William. Something's wrong. Something's scary wrong. One day she she called me crying and she had slipped on uh, asphalt out by the, uh, the Spring Lake Park and, and she said, I, I fell, I landed, he hit his head or whatever it was and I'm like, freaking out is not the right thing to say. I couldn't believe it. And I, I just thought, he's not, he might really, really, this may really be something really, really bad. And, and I remember turning around, I was on the road to go home and check because she was just in her voice that was there. And I think there are those things where you say, all that he's saying here, all my fears came true. All the things that I worried about. And sometimes we say, should we fear anything? Shouldn't we just fear God? But there's a reality that I think we would say, ultimately, yes, we are to fear God. We are to have faith in God, trust God, and reverence Him. But there are things, I think temporary and you might say secondary fears, they're not a bad thing. I don't really like heights, but even if I did like heights, it's still nice to have a good respect for heights. If you don't, you probably fall off a mountain or on top of a building, you fall off. We understand that there are things like that, and so we understand that there are fears that we have that help protect us and protect those we love. But we know ultimately, ultimately we are to fear God. We are to fear Him and reverence Him. But I'm telling you, in the midst of this, He, he says all those things, those even maybe small fears, I have faced every one. So you kind of come away this morning saying, wow, Job is asking questions in the midst of great suffering and despair. He's asking hard questions. He's asking questions about why he has to live. He's speaking of things because he's facing the most Horrible things. And so what do we do? I'd say as a Christian, we have to admit that we don't always know. I don't always know. Like I could sit down with you and say, and you could say, Jared, why did I suffer in this way? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? I don't understand why this thing happens in Africa. Why do people starve? Why are these things? And you would ask all these things and I would say, man, I don't know all the answers to those things. 
They are heartbreaking. They are more uh, difficult to, to, to bear. If I just dwell on those too long, I can't really grasp it. Even us talking this morning about the, the, the widow or the orphan, and you think, why are all these things in this way? But what do we know? I guess that would be my thing. What do I know? What can I say? I can say that God is infinitely sovereign. That He is good. And that He is wise. I can say that we are finite creatures and we don't understand all things. So we must honestly come before the Lord. And I'm not saying that you wouldn't ask the questions of Job, but at the end of the day, we have to say we trust Him. We have to pray that we would grow in faith. We have to know that somehow in the midst of all these trials and sufferings, God is glorified. We experience good from that. And somehow He is working out His plan. He is totally sovereign. He is totally accomplishing His plan on this earth. And we do not always know what that is. We also know that at the end of Job, when Job's walked through all of these things and his friends have brought all their wisdom and they bring all these things to the table at the end, what happens is God speaks. And you know what He says? He doesn't necessarily answer all of Job's questions. But He says, I am God. And you are not. And Job places his hand over his mouth and he repents. I am God. And what is that saying? He's saying, Job, you have to surrender. You have to believe. You have to trust Me. I am God. I don't have to answer all of your questions, but you have to trust that I am God and I am accomplishing My plan. You know, I was thinking this week about Jesus. In Matthew 27, 46, He even asked a question. My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? In the darkest of nights, in the most horrific of all days, when darkness did overtake, when Jesus not only faced the pain and suffering physically, but He endured the wrath of God, He cries out, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? He understands the struggle of enduring great trial infinitely more than what we understand. But His trials were willingly offering of Himself. He offered Himself willingly and suffered for us. So that you and I, if we say we will temporarily suffer, He suffered infinitely so that we will only temporarily live on this earth. That we have a future. So that He comes to us and He says, yes, you're suffering. And Jesus says to His people, come to Me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of the horror of this age, in the midst of wondering, why are we even here? He says, come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I give you rest at the, at the, really by bearing the suffering you deserve in allowing you to enter into glory with Me. 
And He speaks of what that rest will look like. And it's so much greater than what Job saw. It is not just for the believer that we, will have to, we don't have to work anymore or we don't have to have diseases anymore or we don't have to face just all these fears anymore. He does not just promise a rest that ceases from experiencing the troubles of this life, but He promises a rest that will be so glorious and so wonderful that Paul will say we can't even grasp it. In Revelation, as, in your, as you conclude in that book, in Revelation 21, 3 and 4, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And then in chapter 22, verses 3-5, through no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. You will face trials in this life. You will have questions that I cannot answer. It is is clear that that's the case. But I can answer one thing. That those who hope in the Lord those who hope in the Lord will one day experience more joy that these light, as Paul would say, and momentary afflictions have nothing to compare to the glory that will be revealed. So I just say to you today, and I encourage you, hope in God. Trust in God. Walk with God. And know that He who is faithful and true, will sustain you and keep you and give you joy that is unbelievable and incomprehensible. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for today. We thank You for the questions of Job because if we're honest, we know that we have the same questions. From a young child who just learned to speak and would say something like Job to an old saint who's walking through great trials that they never dreamed of. All of us will face those questions. We may not have answers to every question, but we have the only thing that we need, and that is that we may trust You. And that in the end, we know that our Redeemer lives and that He will raise us up with Him On the last day, we praise you for that. In Christ's name, amen.